After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned? that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you? you troubler of Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we continue to move forward slowly in this chapter, chapter 18. This chapter which gives us the story of the great contest on Mount Carmel. We are preparing uh, the backdrop for that to understand that more fully. Remember that Elijah is now back in the land. It has been three years the word of God has returned. 
And at the beginning of this chapter, Elijah has two meetings. I intended to cover both of these last time, but we did not. We did last time his meeting with Obadiah, the servant of the Lord. One who had served God since his youth, but now was being asked publicly to declare his allegiance to God. That was the first meeting as he enters in the land once again. Tonight we're going to talk about the second meeting, the meeting with King Ahab. And as we look at this story of Elijah and King Ahab, there are a number of things that surprise us. Things we would not expect, but things that take place. All of this pointing and reminding us to the fact that even in this meeting, as with the other meeting, God is the one who is orchestrating things. God is the one who is in control. And he is the one who will remind King Ahab that even the king is subject to the precepts of the Lord. Even the king must submit to God's word. And if the king must submit, surely the members of the kingdom must submit as well. We read in verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And right away, we should be surprised at that. Ahab is the king. If someone wants to meet with the king, the king summons them. If you wanted an audience with the king, he wouldn't come to you. You would be summoned by the king, summoned into his presence. But what happens here? It is not so much that Elijah meets Ahab as Ahab now goes out to meet Elijah. Elijah brings that mess, Obadiah brings the message that, that Elijah is back, and the king goes to him. Once again, to, to remind him, to remind us who is really in control. This is Elijah. This is the mouthpiece of the word of God. And even the king would not summon the word. The king would be summoned by the word. It puts the story in its proper context. And he goes immediately, according to the word of God. Back in verse 15, Elijah says to Obadiah, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Ahab here, still being controlled by the providence of God, seeking out Elijah. The word of God fulfilled in this meeting. There have been a number of suggestions as to why Ahab goes so quickly. And you can read commentaries about a variety of suggestions, I would call them. Some say he goes quickly because of his anger. Ahab is so angry uh, with what has happened. It's been three years without rain. He's so angry with Elijah, he goes to find him and to confront him quickly. Some suggest he goes quickly out of fear. It has been three years. What if it's three more years? He's afraid of what might happen if he doesn't go and, and speak with Elijah. Some suggest it's perhaps just a matter of practicality. He just wanted to have rain again and knows that that would happen at the word of the prophet. As I scanned the various commentaries on this passage, 
and read about these various motives. All of them are really psychological motives. But the text is more than a psychological story. It's a theological story. What we have here is not a a, a random meeting between two men. It is a meeting between two office bearers. A meeting between the king of God's people and the prophet of God's people. And that meeting again with Ahab going reminds us that even the king would be subject to the word of God. The king was called to to protect the people. He was the shepherd of God's flock. He was to encourage them in their obedience. He was to help them to implement the word of God in their lives. By going to Elijah, he is tacitly acknowledging he has not fulfilled his responsibility. He goes to Elijah as an acknowledgement. God is in control of this meeting. Ahab goes and he speaks, verse 17. When Elijah, excuse me, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? What a contrast between the way Ahab greets Elijah and the way Obadiah greeted Elijah. Again, a story of two meetings. When Obadiah, back in verse 7, Obadiah was on his way, and behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face. And he said, Is it you, my Lord, Elijah? Obadiah recognized his place in comparison with the prophet of God. Ahab comes. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? He gives us his perspective on what is going on. And yet even even as he refers to Elijah as a troubler, once again, he indicts himself. It was the king's obligation to keep the people free from trouble. He was to protect them if there was trouble. And if a prophet came with a word, he was to investigate that word. Make a note to yourself later to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13, instructions for how to receive the word of a prophet. Remember, Elijah the prophet went to the king. Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which we have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. If the word of the prophet came and was in question, they were to investigate. And the king, as head of his people, was to investigate. The prophet came. He spoke the word of the Lord. The sign was true. There was no rain. But the king did nothing, did nothing to to bow before the prophet. You are a troubler, a troubler of Israel. And so they would be 
They would be cursed by God. And, and, and the cursed fits what God spoke to them earlier. They were under obligation to keep the covenant. They had neglected proper worship. They had, they had set up an idol in the capital. And so God comes with judgment upon them. The king, Ahab, had not fulfilled his responsibilities. He wants to label Elijah rather than investigate and submit to the claims he is making. Elijah so beautifully prefigures the work of our great and final prophet, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, he was not uh, overwhelmingly embraced by the church, embraced by the leaders. He too was said to, to trouble the people. And the Sanhedrin, rather than investigating, simply rejected him, calling him a troublemaker. Even in this encounter, we see Elijah pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. Who would, be, who would be labeled, who would be called a troubler of God's people. Even today, we have those who come claiming to speak the word of God. But sometimes we, we listen to a sermon or we hear you know, something on the radio and we say, ah, that, that doesn't sound quite right to me. And so, so we investigate, and we ask ourselves the question, does this message conform with the Word of God? It's, it, it's good to investigate, it's good to look into things, but our standard is not whether we like it or not. Our standard is, does this conform with God's revealed Word? The prophet, the one who speaks the word of God, will always direct those people toward a greater obedience toward God rather than away from God. But even the things you hear from this pulpit, we don't always like what we have to preach. But it doesn't matter if we like it or not, or if you like it or not. We are driven back to God's word. Is it, is it a faithful exposition of the word of God? Ahab just labels him as a troubler, a, a, a one who bothers us. Christ, a troublemaker. Even ministers today, when they preach something that seems out of, out of whack with the Scriptures, go back to the Word of God and test it against that Holy Word. Do the investigation rather than just labeling them as, as someone strange. That was the beauty. That was the beauty of the Reformation. It was a return to the Word of God a return to, to diving deeper into the Scriptures, to be instructed by God. Ahab simply dismisses, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah responds to Ahab's question, verse 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house. And, and in Elijah's answer, in Elijah's response, he is going to correct two things that Ahab has said. He rejects two of Ahab's premises in his, in his accusation, is that you, you troubler. 
First, he rejects the accusation itself. I have not troubled Israel. I have not troubled Israel. And you say, well, how can there be any doubt that he troubled Israel? Uh, they had been without rain for, for three years. That certainly was a trouble for the people of God. What is the point that Elijah is making? I have not troubled Israel. His point is, this is not trouble. This is the just judgment of God. And it should not surprise you. Again, back from the book of Deuteronomy, this time uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, we read this. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens. So there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will quickly perish off the good land that the Lord is giving you. I am not a troubler of Israel. I'm simply declaring to you the judgment of God. Judgment you should have known about. You, the king, the one who is to care for God's people, this is God simply being faithful to himself and faithful to his word. You should not be surprised that the heavens were shut up when you set up an altar to a false god in the capital of Samaria. This is God coming with the just consequences of your sin. God still does that same thing Today, there are consequences of our sin. God makes a covenant with us. He says, do these things and live. But so often, we do not do them. We deliberately turn away from the way of God. We deliberately turn away from the path of blessing. And then we say, God, what are you doing? When things start falling apart. We should not be surprised. If we are living in a way of disobedience to God, we should not be surprised when trial, when trouble, when difficulty comes our way. Kids, even you know that. Mom and dad say, if you do this, if you obey, everything will be fine. If you don't obey, then there will be punishments. Even you kids get that. When we obey, things go well. When we disobey, they don't. The same is true for the children of God. I'm not bringing trouble, Elijah says. I am declaring to you the just judgment of God. That's his first correction, his first objection. The accusation is not that I'm bringing trouble, I'm bringing you God's judgment. And second, verse 18 I have not troubled Israel. 
He rejects the suggestion that he is the cause of the problem. I have not done this, but you and your father's house have done this because you have abandoned the way of the Lord. This is not God's fault. This, again, is the just consequence of your actions. I'm not doing this. You are responsible. Now, we know, we know that it is not necessarily the case then that when we face trouble in our lives, it is the result of a particular sin. We know that to be the case. Just because we face trial doesn't mean it's a particular sin that we have done. But there are times that it is. There are times when we make certain choices, do certain actions, and God justly responds to what we have done. When we find ourselves in difficulty, when we find ourselves in trouble, the first question we might ask is not, God, what are you doing? But have I done something? Is there something in my life that is, that is causing this difficulty? If we are, are feeling that our relationship to God just isn't what we, it used to be, we just don't feel as close to God as we were at one time. The first question isn't, God, what are you doing? The first question is, what am I doing? Am I spending time in his holy word, listening to him speak to me by the power of the Spirit? Am I spending time in prayer, pouring out my heart to him? Am I hearing his call to come and to gather for worship, Lord's Day morning and Lord's Day evening? If we are not doing those things, do not be surprised when we feel far from God. I am not the one, the mouthpiece of God says, you are the one who is doing these things. If we're facing trials in our family, difficulties in our marriage, we have to ask ourselves, are we living according to God's commands, according to his laws, according to his precepts? Are we, as, as men of the house, showing the love of Christ to our wives, putting them before us, their needs before our needs? Are we, as wives, showing proper deference, respect, submission to our husbands? If we are not, don't be surprised when things don't go well. The mouth of God says, I am not the one doing this. This is you. There are times when our sins have direct consequences. God has made a covenant with us. You do this and live. And yet so often, we fail to do just those things. We are called to be faithful to God in our walk with Him. And, and were it not for the rest of Scripture, this truth would be terribly discouraging to us. God says, this is how you shall live, and this is what you should do, and then you will live. And we say, I simply can't do it. If there were, if there were no more revelation beyond this, we would be so discouraged. But we know that our God who has made a covenant with us, given us covenant obligations, has also sent his Son to fulfill 
those covenant obligations on our behalf. God sends his son, Jesus Christ, faithful to his word, faithful to his promise, one who will come and be faithful to the call of God for us. God's word is true, God's word is trustworthy, and we can go back to that word again and again and hear that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for our salvation. He's fulfilled our side of the covenant that we might now live under the blessing of God, not for our sake, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, that, that final prophet, that perfect covenant keeper. If you are trying to fix problems in your life yourself, if you find yourself living in difficulty in trial and trying to get your own way out, God calls to you tonight. Turn to His provision. Turn to His Son, Jesus Christ. Embrace Him as Lord of your life, as your Savior, and, and, and He will be the one who fulfills the covenant on your behalf. He will be the one who takes away all your sins. And God may still send trouble. He may still send trial. But even then, we will see that God is in control of those things. God was in control the three years of no rain. He had not left Israel. His word had left. God had not left. We can be, we can be sure. We can be encouraged that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to, to fulfill our side of the covenant, that we might live under the blessing of God. God in 1 Kings 18, once again showing us that theme of Elijah, he is faithful to his word. Faithful in curse, but also faithful in blessing. How thankful we are. We live on this side of the cross, knowing the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Let us join together in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word, a word that is right and trustworthy and true, a word to which you are always faithful. As we look at these stories in the life of Elijah, we are reminded that you are the God who is in control over all. You are the God before even whom the king must bow. And if the king must bow, we must as well. Lord God, humble our hearts before you. If we are going through times of difficulty and trial that is due to particular sins we have committed, bring us to repentance. Bring us to a greater trust in you. Wash us and cleanse us for the sake of Jesus Christ and restore us to the path of righteousness. Be once again, O God, faithful to your holy word. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to number 245 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Number 245, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth 
thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. We're going to sing just verse 1 and 3, just verse 1 and 3, number 245. Let's stand together as we sing. 